talking about our good man Joshua, who after 40 years, they make it all the way through the, the Jordan, but before they do, instead of just storming up to the gates of Jericho and taking the promised land, they do something very strange. They pause, and they build a memorial, because they think it's going to be important for them to remember, and future generations to remember, what took place that day. And today's sermon, if you were going to boil it down to a, a phrase, would be, what we don't remember we forget. There you go. Drove all the way out here just for that little, little tidbit. <laughs> all right. Joshua chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 to 7 together. If I can get my marker to work here. There we go. Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen. We'll talk about that in a second. It happened back in chapter 3. One from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, What do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So it's an odd thing to do. This is a highlight. You got momentum. Everybody's rah, rah, says, boom, bah. The, the, the river stopped. They witnessed a great miracle. The Ark of the Covenant went out in front of them. And as we talked about last week, it was very similar to the Red Sea parting. But they walked by on dry ground. And so with all of the, the hoopla and probably the cheering and the pandemonium that might have been going on at that moment, or just the sheer, whew, I'm just glad the water didn't collapse while we were in the middle, he does something very odd. He asks them to say, go back into the riverbed where the Ark of the Covenant is. Now remember last week, he said, don't get anywhere near the Ark of the Covenant. You're supposed to stay a half mile away. Now they get on the other side and he says, now go take rocks from there. Everybody, 12 of you, the 12 I picked before we crossed. So, well, that would lead one to believe that he's thought this through. This is a premeditated thing that he's doing. Get 12, go in, take a rock, we'll bring it back out, and we'll build a memorial. And these rocks will stand here, and your children will go, what's the deal with the rocks? And that will give you a chance to tell them the story of what just happened here today. It's interesting, there are several little things that I'll mention, but we're not going to go very far. You notice there's a lot of communal language in this chapter, Joshua 4. There's a lot of we's, there's not a lot of personal pronouns. It's, it's kind of a we, us kind of language. And most of the great memories that we have, if we really stop and think, there's usually someone else there. Uh, the church is fundamentally a communal gathering. We are a people that God is taking on a journey to that proverbial promised land. And so as much as I'm going to talk today about some of the personal applications, don't lose sight of that. Because there's a very important thing that we as a people need to make sure that we're building memorials to the great things that God has done among us so we don't forget the things that God has done. And, and we try to do this occasionally with the church. Those of you who've been around at NBC a while, uh, we'll often do this with artwork. We'll, 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 we'll paint. You may remember the vines and the grapes that we've painted a few different times. We've done it. We did it not that long ago by just writing on the walls of the Ritz Theater where we're going to be heading. It's a way of us building a collective memory to be able to go, this stands as a reminder of all of the great things that God has done for us, not just for me, but for us. Some of you are actually my living reminders. 
That just as a pastor, I can look out as I'm preaching and I see story after story after story of how God has changed lives. And you're like a little, a little memorial walking around of the great things that God has done in the lives of his people. When you look to your left or to your right, you're seeing a living stone, if you will. Somebody that's, that's a story of the activity of God. And so we need to remember these things. This comes across as very, very important. Joshua selects somebody from each tribe. So they're all included. Remember, there's 12 tribes. He has 12 people picked. Uh, but again, it's very communal, and the whole story becomes very intergenerational. Twice he says, we're going to set these rocks here, and the kids are going to ask us what they mean. And you are to tell your kids what happened this day, and, and then at the end, we're going to read this text in a little bit, he says, so that you will remember the mighty works of God, and you will come to fear the Lord. You tell these stories, there's an aim to it. It shapes people to hear certain stories recounted over and over and over again. Just like you can sit there and sing, take me out to the ball game, just off the top of your head, because you've been singing that song for so long, the church has its own ways of telling stories, singing songs that testify to the goodness of God. And those aren't things that we should just kind of let, let go. Those are important. And to continue to come back and to revisit uh, certain things, because what we don't remember, we will forget. I mentioned Hermann Ebbinghaus. That's a good German name for you. Uh, he created what was called the Ebbinghaus Curve. And basically, it's a, uh, he did a study on memory and how our brains forget things. And so as you can see there, and this really hurts a preacher's feelings, by the way. Um, this is a devastating graph in some ways. Uh, you go, and, and, and it's just a precipitous drop from the moment that you actually learn something. So I could teach you, for instance, a song right now uh, that maybe you've never heard. And I could come back to you tomorrow and ask you to sing the song up in front of the whole crowd or whatever. And other than being terrified, you wouldn't be able to recall it. Or you might be able to recall the gist of it, uh, but not really what's going on. Those of you who have ever crammed for a test, you know the truth of this. You might be able to keep it in there for 30 minutes while you take the test, and then it just leaks. It's like somebody <laughs> just, just wiped the whole board clean. You can't remember anything. Well, so you, you, you see how it kind of slopes, and then gradually, you know, by the end of week one or so, and that goes all the way out to about 30 days, about a one-month uh, deal is how he ran this. And basically, where you are on day seven is really about where you are on day 30. So you kind of just leak all your information out. You got less than 20% of it from uh, day seven to 30. But you go in really, I mean, in a matter of two days, 100% down to 35. I mean, it's like free fall of knowledge just going down. Now, the retention aspect of this thing comes down to, for instance, the strength of the memory. So if you witness something very traumatic or whatever, you might be more inclined to remember it. Uh, it also, how much time has passed since you learned it matters. Now, the speed of it, how quickly you forget it, often has to do with the complexity of the material. The more complex it is, the more quickly you're going to forget it. One of the reasons you know Take Me Out to the Ball Game and not Handel's Messiah is because Take Me Out to the Ball Game is very simple. Handel's Messiah can go on for a very long time, and it's very complicated. The music's very complicated. But some of you do know it. And you know it because you hear it. You've heard it a lot. Not because you have this photographic memory that hears it once, and then all of a sudden you've committed it to memory, uh, you do this based on, and we'll go ahead and put the next slide up here real quick. This will show you basically what he recommends that you do. Uh, this is uh, basically through the repetition of things. 
you learn how to do it better to where the curve gets flatter and flatter. You don't have the free fall the next time that you do it. So, for instance, uh, if I were to do this today uh, and preach this particular sermon, one of the reasons we do growth groups the way we do, one of the reasons you have a big notes section in your bulletin, okay, is because you want you to be able to think about it later. And so you might see something go out on social media that's a a little uh, quip from the sermon or a Bible verse or something, and that's the idea. As your recollection is going down, poop, there we go, bang, we're up there. And then down, it starts getting a little flatter, and boom, back up again. Now, you can mix up the ways that you do it, so, you know, you can hear it live, you can watch it back again, you can hear it, uh, you can take notes on it, you can do all of that, all of that stuff helps. Tim, why does this matter? Because what Joshua is doing makes sense, not just spiritually, but physically. If you want to remember something, you have to recall it over and over and over and over again. You may not know that I was at one point an excellent saxophone player. No joke. I actually was a really good young saxophone player. Now, maybe one of these days I had to break it out here in the band. The reason you won't want to hear that is because I've not played the saxophone since ninth grade. So if you asked me to play it, I I couldn't play it. Is it because I never knew how to play it? No, I knew how. It's because I have not played it in so long that I no longer am proficient at it. I took Japanese for six years. I was actually semi-fluent in it. Now, ask me now. I had a classmate uh, not that long ago in class, about three or four weeks ago, from Japan, spoke very little English, so I tried to use my Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not a pretty sight, okay? It's not that easy to recall. Hebrew and Greek stick with me more because I use them more. Because I preach every day. When I was a little boy, uh, I learned the books of the Bible in Bible class. They come up with little songs and stuff, right? To teach you. Okay, well, the reason that I remembered them was not just because I had Joanne Pressler or John Harper teaching my Bible class when I was a little boy. It's be, the reason I remember them is because I actually open my Bible all the time. And so I know where to find things, right? So Joshua is trying to create this thing, this memorial, so that when people come by or when they go back to that spot, that there's a stack of rocks that's so odd that it triggers something. It's not like there's a little plaque. It's not like going to the uh, Washington Monument or something. There's no, nothing written. It's simply, uh, simply a, uh, a memorial, an altar of remembrance where you go and somebody goes, what is that? Well, let me tell you about that. This right here is where God did one of his greatest miracles after 40 years of us wandering around in the wilderness, living on manna, experiencing all of these different things. God, right here at this spot in the river, made the water peel back. And we came across, along with the Ark of the Covenant, on dry ground. And that led the way for us to enter the Promised Land. It happened right here. Now, why would he want that to be an important thing, right? I mean... We're forward-thinking people. The past is pointless, right? I mean, forget the past. That's the kind of stuff we say. The past is the past. What in the world does that mean, even? (laughs) Correct, the past is the past. The ball is the ball or something, right? I mean, the past is the past. What we're trying to say is, hey, if it was negative, let's try to forget it. That's over now. But what you learn is that throughout Scripture, there's actually some value in remembering what you did wrong. And so there are memorials that are built not just for the good stuff, but even for the bad stuff. 
And you'll pick it up in the language of Paul in the New Testament. He'll say, you know, who, let me tell you who I was. I was a chief of sinners. I used to persecute the church. He's got, he calls to memory who he was to celebrate who God made him to be. Right? But he remembers looking back helps you see forward better. That's really what Joshua seems to understand here to the point that he picks these men out before they cross the Jordan. If you want to go back later on this afternoon, look back in chapter 3. And as he's giving the instructions about the Ark of the Covenant and how they're supposed to proceed through, he says, hey, uh, before we go, each of you pick one guy from each tribe. He doesn't tell them what they're supposed to do. He doesn't tell them what they're going to do or why he's even doing it. So they pick 12. When they get to the other side, he says, where are the 12 guys that we picked on the other side? Now go back in. So it's a premeditated thing, it would seem, what he's doing. What we recall regularly, we remember. Go back to Joshua chapter 4. Look at verse 21 to 24. This is a, it seems on the surface to be a reiteration of what he's saying, but he adds some, some girth to it. This is Joshua 4, 21. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Two reasons. So the word will get out. Now we know from the story of Rahab that word was already out. They'd heard about the Red Sea. They'd heard about all the different things and all the victories in battle that they had given, uh, that God had given to the Israelites. And so they're terrified of God's people to the point that it makes the whole Jericho battle. I mean, God does it. We'll talk next Sunday about them marching around the walls and he gives them a very peculiar set of instructions, which again, they are to obey. But here, Joshua is trying to highlight things and help them order their thoughts. You're doing this so that this will happen. He doesn't just build memorials to just anything. He builds it very specifically to commemorate that specific moment in time and get that specific end, that result, which is what? So that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God. So we have, memory is not like this thing that's, um, you know, not all memories are created equal. I don't know why I can remember that how to spell the last name of Wayne Krenchicki, the uh, outfielder for the Chicago White Sox in, in the early to mid-80s, or why I can tell you off the top of my head that uh, Jerry Royce, the old Dodger pitcher, has a lifetime ERA of 364. It's pointless. means nothing. Now, uh, when I forget my wife's birthday, that matters, right? <laughs> if I forget what Jerry Royce's ERA was, no big deal. If I forget that, I forget the anniversary. I forget to show up on Sunday to preach. That's a big deal, right? <laughs> you know, there are certain facts that are more important to remember than others. And that's one of the things that we need to pull out of this. Not all memories are created equal. There's an ordering of our memories that ought to take place. And the ones that need to float to the top are the ones that create a, um, uh, a blast of glory to God so that Others might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that we might fear the Lord, our God, forever. The ones that, that make a big deal of God. Jerry Royce's ERA does not do that. 
Remembering my wife's birthday doesn't even do that, frankly. I better remember. But you know what does? Here's, here's what does. November 29, 1987. Long Beach Church of Christ, Long Beach, California. I gave my life to Jesus. I will never forget that day. And so every year, I have a reminder, November 29th, on my phone, that reminds me, this is your spiritual birthday. Don't let it go by. It's a little altar, so to speak, that I built in my life. Remember. I think we could do a lot worse, sister and brothers, than, than to build some of these around. To take memories of when God did a mighty thing in your life. God raise you from the dead spiritually? Remember that. Remember it. Do whatever it takes to make that to take me out to the ball game of your head. Okay? Put it in your head. Recount it regularly. Now you don't, and, and again, part of it, remember the intergenerationalism of this, right? He wants the kids to know the stories. Which do you think makes a bigger impression on me? My dad explaining to me uh, the ins and outs of the 1965 Mustang. Vintage car expert, really. My dad is. Telling me that? Or telling me the story of how he almost dropped out of high school. He ended up going to Vietnam. He ended up coming back and didn't know what he was going to do with his life. He was kind of a mess. But the old preacher that was at the church, same church building I happened to get baptized in when I was a boy, uh, basically wouldn't let his life stay off the rails and reached out to him. And the next thing, you know, he, he somehow through a miracle of God got him into college. Uh, he ended up graduating college. He ended up turning his life around and then ended up becoming this rock-solid father that has raised godly kids and is a great-grandfather to his grandkids. Okay, that story matters more. You see what I'm saying? Don't make your memories the lame ones, the ones that are empty. They're like empty carbs or empty calories. They taste good in the moment. Now, if you want to know what I'm talking about, uh, look, look at Instagram. Those are the empty ones, right? Ask me where I went on vacation last summer. I can't tell you. Now, at the time, I was like, oh, look how we're making memories, right? Yeah, they were so memorable, I can't even tell you where we were. But ask me, to give you two, three, four, five things that are on the wall of the Ritz Theater, I can tell you. You know, I can, I can tell you exactly where certain families put their stuff. I can tell you what my daughter wrote on the wall. I can tell you a whole slew of different things, right? See, those memories matter more. I want to remember that one. And the reason is, not just because it's more, quote-unquote, just meaningful for me. No, no, no. It's because it's a memory that makes a big deal of God. See what I'm saying? That's what he says. So they might know the Lord's hand is powerful. The reason I'm going to remember that, and the reason I want to trumpet that one, is because it lets people know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so that I might fear the Lord my God forever. It's just another reminder of how great he is. It's not just a matter of, oh, hey, look, at what, wasn't that fun? Sure it was fun. But that's, there are a lot of things that are fun. Saying, take me out to the ball game is fun. It's also empty. You understand what I'm saying? That Joshua does us a great favor here. He says, listen, before we're getting ready to cross, so let's make sure we're going to do something on the other side that's pretty special. So let's pick 12, one from each tribe. Boom, 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 boom. They pick their 
he picks the guys, they go across, he says, now, all 12 of you, go get a rock, one each, put it over your shoulder, take it over here, and we're going to build a memorial. And we are going to make sure that we remember what God did here. We will remember what God did here. We're going to let our kids know what God did here so that the word about the great things that God has done will permeate the earth and so that we will fear the Lord. If you have a hard time, you know, staying on the rails spiritually, okay, sin continues to just kind of pop up and grab you at different times. One of the best things you can do is just build a bunch of memorials. I'm not talking about idols. Somebody's going to send me that email. Don't, don't do that. I'm not talking about idols. I'm talking about memories. Reminders on your phone, so to speak. But if we don't order our thoughts in our memories, if we just kind of pile it all in there as though it's all equal, they're not equal. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means some are more full of meaning than others. Some declare the glory of God more than others. John Steinbeck in Cannery Row has a character in there by the name of Hazel. Here's how Steinbeck describes him and his mind. He says, casting about in Hazel's mind was like wandering alone in a deserted museum. Hazel's mind was choked with uncatalogued exhibits. He never forgot anything, but he never bothered to arrange his memories. Everything was thrown together like fishing tackle in the bottom of a rowboat. Hooks and sinkers and lines and lures and gaffs all snarled up together. Boy, that applies to me sometimes. I mean... Hey, Tim, how was your week? Well, you know, usually the first thing out of my mouth is if there wasn't a, a banner up event, I, the ones that are fresher in my mind is whatever stunk. So I will say, oh, you know, it's fine. Or I'll say, I'm tired. Or I will say, I'm busy. Or I'll say, fine, like all of us do. Good. How are you? You know, we, we just kind of do that, right? Instead of trying to call the things up into my mind about, that testify to what God is doing or what he has done. So that what stays in my mind, the memories that I have, that are foremost in my mind, is not necessarily how I feel. It's what God's done. See, and those two things will change your entire perspective on life and it will turn your life into a memorial. You will become a place where people stop and go, what's that? What happened to him? What happened to her? Well, let me tell you what happened there. You know, a year ago, you should have seen her. She was a complete mess. She's been in and out of rehab. She's done whatever. She used to scream at her kids every day. She used to do whatever, but here's what God did in her life, and you explain it, and you say, so that's why she seems different to you. Remember it. Remember it, because what we don't... (laughs) What we don't remember, we'll forget. I mean, ask me <laughs> what my kids' phone numbers are. I have no idea. I know how to get a hold of them. I just push the Google Assistant button and say, call Anna Spivey. I can get like the last four, I think. And I can't do it because I don't dial it. Right? I just kind of speak it into existence. Now ask me what my, uh, I can tell you that my friend Grant's 
phone number from childhood, what it was. I know my Uncle Tim's phone number, 424-4216. I haven't called him in 25 years, okay? But I can tell you his phone number. Why? Because I dialed it. I had to remember it. So I did. Now I'll call my kids two or three times today. I couldn't tell you what their phone number is. Isn't that weird? Do we see how memories are changing? Right? How, how our minds are being shaped differently? I think the time is excellent for Joshua to come back, make a comeback. And uh, I like the fact that he doesn't give any written instructions. He says, just make a pile of rocks. And when somebody goes, what's the deal with the rocks? Then you tell them. And the emphasis, again, is on making sure, too, the future generations hear it. Uh, I'm gonna div- I'm gonna, we're going to separate the sheep from the goats here for a second, okay? I'm going to do a little nursery rhyme, and I'm going to ask you to finish it. All right? Let's see how good we are with your memories. Anybody know this little piggy? All right? If, if we should get the nursery in here, and we all grab a baby toe. That's how, how, how most of us do this one. You grab a baby toe <laughs> and say, this little piggy... Went to the market, this little piggy, this little piggy, this little piggy had. Okay, now, this is where things get polarizing. This little piggy cried. Oh, wait a minute. All the way home. You know what the debate is in my house? Not me and M, but my parents. My father says, wee, 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 I want some. Exactly, all right? <laughs> all right, now, it makes sense. It rhymes, and plot-wise, it fits. But it's just wrong. Right? If you go look up, if you look up the Mother Goose rhyme, okay? But my dad was a, a, a school teacher, and when he taught that rhyme, he taught, wee, 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 I want some, all right? I mean, misled an entire generation of kids, <laughs> you know. But the reason, the reason that they do it and the reason that you know that, you haven't been a baby in a very long time. Because you said it because your parents taught it to you, right? And a lot of those things that we want our kids to know, they're only going to hear if we teach it to them. And not once. Like, take me out to the ballgame style. Like, over over and over and over and over again. So this requires a little reflection for those of us who are parents or just older people in the church who've been around a while and can actually sit back and point and say, let me tell you about what God did. Let me me tell you about how he got us through this thing. Let me tell you how uh, he, he brought my family back together when we were, everything was falling apart. Let me tell you how he pulled us out of the abyss. Let me tell you how he changed me in this way. Let me tell you how he, he did this, right? That those kind of memories keep being told over and over and over and over and over again. And that's why tradition matters. Now, we're called New Vintage, and we, we, you're, we're America's most flexible church. The problem with most churches is that they have the wrong traditions, it's not that tradition's bad. Tradition's great. And sometimes you can make a memorial out of tradition itself instead of what it testifies to, okay? But tradition is very good. And really, it's when your memories become traditions that you're really getting somewhere. 
One of my family is, uh, my, my mom and dad took us to the same hotel in the same spot the same week of every year. We eat at the same restaurants. We used to come here to Escondido. And uh, there was a general plot. Breakfast was at Denny's. We'd stay at the Welk Resort. They had a timeshare there. Uh, we'd have uh, Denny's. Then we'd go to the Golden Egg. Same waitresses at the Golden Egg that was there when I was a little boy. Crazy. And then the big climax was dinner on Grandit at Philippi's, right? With the ultimate cheesy goodness, right? <laughs> so, uh, and they do those things. And I've always wondered, okay, why, do, why don't they branch out and do something better? Something different, you know? Um, they go to the same place, the same towns, the same whatever. And I, I've come to, now that I have kids, you know, I want them to have some traditions, some places they look forward to going. Part of it is, when you go on vacation to the same place, it's kind of like you get to take all your good memories with you on the trip. It's like you're, hey, are we going to stop at whatever, right? They're remembering what we've done in the past. They remember having a good time. They remember all the laughter we had there. And I can tell you right now, he had a a metallic finger that he would put on the table, and me and my sister both argued over who got to walk the money up and pay the bill. And so he would spin this finger, and it would go round, 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 and I would sit there as a kid hoping it would land on me. Okay? How in the world can I remember that? And I can't remember the second line of a song I just sung. Memories matter a lot. And God knows that, which is why Joshua does this. We have to be careful of kind of the noise machine principle where, you know, the noise machine just kind of makes generic noise and it drowns out the real acute sudden noise. Because we need to be aware of when God is really doing something special. And it's going on all the time, sisters and brothers. And then we now, as the church, find our spot as a community of witnesses and storytellers. We're the people who go, oh man, what do you mean you don't think there's a God? Let me tell you something. Sit down. I got a story to tell you. And off we go. I mean, we ought to bore our kids spitless with stories of the great things that God has done and tell them over and over and over again. Tell them creatively. Tell them with a picture. Tell them with, with, play them a song. Do something, but tell those stories, sisters and brothers, so that they will know of the great things that God has done. And so they will learn to fear the Lord, their God, for all of their days. This is why he has Joshua do this. And so he does it before they enter the promised land. It's like family photo albums, why they matter as much as they do. There's a fire in the house. What do they go for? You got 30 seconds to get out of here. Why do people grab family photo albums on the way out the door instead of grabbing the cash or grabbing their most valuable possessions? Because the memories matter. So let me suggest that God has given us one big altar of remembrance. I know we can do it less often if we chose to. We probably wouldn't go to hell for it, but the reason that we take communion every Sunday is because the single greatest thing that God ever did is something that we ought to remember as often as we possibly can. So when we, we'll take the bread and the cup uh, here in just a moment. In fact, those who are going to be passing it, go ahead and take your, your spots. Okay, but that act of what God did that changed every life in this room 
and that of the billions of Christians over the years, that single act, okay, has to, that story needs to be told as often as possible. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That the one that he sets free is free indeed. That we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. All of these things. And just tell them over and over and over and over again. Because if we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? We're the witnesses. And Joshua gets that. He goes, he goes, what God's doing and what he just did, that's something that we need to make sure gets passed down. So right now, we're going to gather around the Lord's table, celebrate this great act of God and what he did on our behalf. And so, yes, the promised land awaits us someday. But for now, let's build a memorial, shall we, this morning. Bread, cup. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, for pulling me out of the abyss, I give you thanks. For how I've watched you work in the lives of the people that are gathered here in this room, I give you thanks. For what you're doing in our church, I give you thanks, and I remember it now. And I pray, Father, that my sisters and brothers, boy, that, that, that the memories that they have, the, what they've witnessed you do in their lives, would just bubble up to the surface. That they would, it would permeate our minds right now, your goodness, the mighty works that you've done, Father, so that others will know of your mighty deeds and that we, Father, might learn to fear the Lord all of our days. We pray this now as we take this bread and this cup and we remember, Jesus, the single greatest miracle you've ever done, redeeming sinners like us. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.